This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Josh Kitchen and Tony Sutton, thanks very much for making time to come on Talk Your Book. We'll get to Tony's stock pick in a minute, but Josh, I thought if we started with you, uh, and before we get into Central Capital, maybe if you, you give us a brief background on, on how you actually got into finance in the first place. Sure, thanks for having us, Chris. Um, it's an interesting story. Um, I guess growing up as a kid, like yourself, sport was a big part of my life. And uh, all I really wanted to do was play football. Um, finance was very much not on the agenda. Um, as a 16 year old, I got drafted to the Hawthorne Footy Club, a uh, pretty competitive team to get in in the early 90s. So a couple of years later, I was um, traded to St Kilda. It was actually part of the Tony Lockett deal. Oh, wow. It was my uh, small claim to fame. And um, in 95, I actually made my debut. Um, I think between us, Chris, we played 282 games. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't need to be good at maths to work out I didn't play many games. But um, what, what ended up happening is I had a bad break of my tibia. And uh, as a 21-year-old, the, the career was over before it started. And um, unfortunately, that's a brutal reality of, of professional sport. But um, fortunately, I, I was studying commerce. So I had a fallback plan. Um, so what I wanted to do then was uh, to get a career out of my football. So I went and played in the VAFA and through um, some contacts I made, I ended up getting a job at Bankers Trust, which was uh, the big US investment bank. And uh, it wasn't a very glamorous role. I was uh, working in the mail room, started at 5 a.m., finished up at about nine and then went on to finish my um, university degree. Basically, a couple of years later, I, I worked my way up at, at BT and ended up working on the institutional um, sales desk with a man called Campbell Neal. And um, he later went on and set up his own funds management business in K2 Asset Management. And from K2 spawned Centra Capital? Yeah. So I was at K2 in 1999. Um, Campbell Neal and Mark Newman founded the business and I was the first employee. The business grew very quickly to 25 staff and over a bill of FUM. And uh, it was a great breeding ground for fund managers. A lot of talented fund managers had been through K2. And uh, it was a really great spot to not only learn how to run a fund, but learn how to manage risks. So I guess uh, after 20 odd years there, Tony, who also worked with at K2 for a number of years, we sort of decided um, we'd done our apprenticeship in funds management and it was time for us to take the next step in our career and uh, we launched Sintra Capital in April this year. And what's the investment philosophy for, for Sintra? When Tony and I launched the fund, we, we really wanted a very flexible uh, mandate. We, we didn't want to be constrained by arbitrary investment constraints that really restricted our ability to make money. So we've got a very much all-weather approach to invest in. Just uh, we, we know over, uh, over the long time investment cycles are long in duration. So from our point of view, we didn't want to be restricted in any particular style. The funds run uh, in an agnostic nature. So you know, we're agnostic to country, sector and style. 
and to us that just makes the, the most sense in running money, that flexible mandate. It's not taking retail money a big part of that flexibility as well. You have a lot of fund managers speak yeah, that's about correct. the difference when you're, you're wholesale versus retail. Does that give you more freedom along with it, it being does. able to invest in global markets? It does. Because, we've got, because we are a wholesale fund, um, we don't uh, require any um, rating agencies to review us, so we've got a more flexible process to run our own money. That's correct. And what uh, we'll get to Tony's stock pick in a sec, but what would you describe as your red jazz when you're, you're talking about you guys, Sintra, compared to other funds out there? Yeah, well, I guess between Tony and I, we've had 45 years of combined experience, so we've seen a lot of cycles. Um, the fund in itself is, is global. It's a uh, high conviction 20 to 30 stock portfolio. I guess uh, that ability to be able to very much focus on the on the bottom up and not focus on the macro, that's... We've got a very disciplined uh, and repeatable process of picking stocks. And Tony, what stock did you want to uh, dive into today? Yeah, the stock we'd like to talk about is Deckers Outdoors. Um, you may not have heard of the name Deckers, but you've probably heard of their underlying brands. Just start with a little bit of history first. They were founded in 1973 as a flip-flop sandal manufacturer um, in California, targeting the surfwear lifestyle market. And they did that for about 20 years, quite, quite nicely. The first turning point came in about 1995 when they acquired UGG. And I suppose everyone's heard of the, uh, the UGG brands and, and the classic boots that they make. It's a very, very profitable business and it's been a cash cow for the company. And then the next, uh, the, big, the big change came another 20 years later after that, where they, in 2013, acquired Hoka, a sports athletics like, um, shoe brand. And in terms of star performers, Hoka is really the standout out of the different business units they, they have. Maybe just talk through just how strongly that's grown in the last 12 months to give some perspective on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Hoka shoes just hit $1 billion of annualised revenue on a, um, on a quarterly basis. That's grown 50% from the previous corresponding period. Can't really compare it to Nike, but if you were, Nike have annual footwear sales of $29 billion. So there's still an enormous, enormous runway to go to grow into. Um, Hoka forecast to grow at the next 20, 20% per annum over the next five years as well, making it probably the fastest growing sports shoe brand in the in the market. And they've got some technical, you know, certainly in their sales pitch, they've got some technical capabilities of shoes compared to other shoes. Maybe talk us through that for people that aren't familiar with it. Correct. Well, a good place, probably worth going back to how, how Hoka started. Two friends in 2009 based in or lived in the French Alps and they wanted to design shoes specifically for themselves tailored for running in mountainous, rugged terrain, if you like. And so they came up with a shoe that's got this oversized outer sole, if you like, so it's not very aesthetically pleasing, but, um, but it works. And as more and more people saw what, saw what they were doing, they wanted what they had and Hoka was born. Interestingly, as a sort of a side point, it translates to fly over the earth in, oh. Maori, in Maori language. They weren't Kiwis, the two that created no, the company? No, they were French. Okay. French, living, yeah. in the, living in the French Alps. That's right. So in the early years, the shoes were embraced by ultra-marathon runners. So you know, people think it's a, a good idea to run 100 miles at a time. Yeah. Um, very good for them. Lots of extra cushioning in the support. Um, apparently, it enables you to run faster downhill. I've never actually tried that, but... That's, that's what they say. And now, today, it's gaining much more popularity with the increase in explosion in sales with you know, runners and athletes 
um, a broader broader section. And also podiatrists as well. Apparently, it's uh, very good for foot pain as well. And which geographies are DECA selling their different products in currently? Yeah, so predominantly it's the US. So 70% of sales are in the US, 30% offshore. And of that 30%, only about 5% are in China. Uh, so it's a huge opportunity to grow both in China. I mean, it's been worked out well, that only such a small proportion in China in the last 12 months with the extended lockdowns. But uh, going forward, that represents an enormous opportunity to expand outside of the US. And we're seeing it here in Australia as well with Style Runner and Active Feet and through specialised sporting, sh- sporting shoe shops. And you mentioned Decca and UGG. What are some of the other brands that... Sorry, you mentioned Hoka and UGG. What are some of the other brands that, that Decca have? Yeah, so Hoka and UGG represent approximately 90% of their current revenue. Other brands include Tiva and Sanuk. They're more sandals and casual shoes. And how are you viewing the US consumer with a stock like this? Yeah, so certainly that's one of the risk. One of the risks. Uh, it's a consumer discretionary company. Um, in higher inflation is going to impact consumer consumer spending. Um, we take the view that Hoka's market and customer base is higher income demographic, so they should be, or probably most likely will be, less impacted by the by the higher inflation. Um, and especially when it comes to spending money on your feet, if it's if you're, it's recommended by a podiatrist, if you've got sort of foot pain or sore feet, you're not going to to really compromise on what you buy. When looking at the consumer, if you had to weigh up, you know, disinflation, reasonably high employment, or really low unemployment but high inflation, what do you think would be a better scenario for the consumer? For the consumer, I think initially it's it would be the lower unemployment rate, yeah, and slightly higher inflation. But there will come a tipping point at, at some stage where it does it, it can tip over if interest rates get pushed too high. Yeah, on the back of high inflation. But if inflation starts to, to come down a bit, that might not be such a problem down the track. But I think it's mo- the most important is the low unemployment, keep uh, people working, and if they can work, then they can maybe have to cut back in certain areas. The luxury you think would su- suffer in that environment, don't you think? Um, lux- it depends. The luxury inflation doesn't impact the high income earners as much as low income earners because they can navigate it better because they're able to navigate it better and yeah. and that's correct and they and the high income earners can and they can sort of trade down a little bit if necessary where if you're the low income earners you, there's not really much lower you can um, trade down to in terms of the goods and services you're consuming and talk me through uh, the numbers. Say so FY twenty three revenue growth, and, and what sort of margins you could see yeah, Deck yes. is getting. Yeah, certainly. So currently trade market cap nine billion. US dollars did three and a half billion dollars of revenue 2022, growing to $3.9 billion in 2023. Currently trades on a P of 17 times, has a net cash balance sheet, very strong, doing buybacks, a lot of opportunity there for reinvestment. And uh, margins, gross margins currently about 52%. EBIT margin once is um, in the range of 18% and that's got the potential to grow to 20% as they expand their direct-to-consumer strategy. And is that sort of the model for a lot of these brands? They they piggyback on the distribution of retailers and, and that brand recognition and get the social proof there and then over time they start to build their direct-to-consumer model and, and boost their margins. Is that what yeah. you see potentially happening here? Yeah, it certainly is. So Nike have been doing that now for the last two or three years. They're they're relying less on wholesale distribution partners like Foot Locker and enrolling out more of their own Nike branded stores. Hoka, 
Eldecas via Hoka and also Argo as well are doing a similar thing. They've, um, they've only they're still obviously building in the wholesale distribution channels through Dick's Sporting Goods, Nordstrom, and they've just only just gone into Foot Locker in America in the last few months. But at the same time, they're also rolling out their own branded branded stores as well and expanding their online presence too. And they're doing a buyback. How's yes. that going? Yeah, buyback is going well. Um, they have ex excess cash on the balance sheet. Their brand's profitable. Argus has been generating profits for many years. And um, and then, yeah, that's going well. They're buying back 1% to 2% of the shares. And, and still a fair bit of cash on the balance sheet. When you see that, would you like then to deploy that in adding another brand to the portfolio with the growth they're seeing in Hoka? Would you just prefer them to double down yeah, on, on the, increasing sales there? At, at the moment, they're, um, they're spending more money on, the, on Hoka. Marketing as a percentage of sales has crept up from 5% to now 8%. So um, to reinvest in the brand and um, global market awareness is uh, it's probably the most important place where they could spend the money now. Hoka's right on the tipping point. They've got that billion, you know, psychological threshold of a billion dollars of sales. They can now grow that growth strongly from that base. And a business like this, could you see someone coming in and acquiring them or do you think they're going to be a, a standalone operation for yeah. the foreseeable future? Could absolutely see someone acquiring it, with a, be that a Nike or an Adidas or a Puma, for example, Nike own Converse, Adidas own Reebok. No reason why they can't add this specialty footwear brand to their to their stable. Nike trades on a P that's considerably high in the twenties as opposed What's to Lulu's P is bloody high too, isn't it? Lulu's P is high off the top of my head. I'm not quite sure what they are. Notice, but, yeah. but I don't um, I don't know that they have a shoe brand. No, but that might be the fit, wouldn't it? it, it it's poten potentially, yes. Yeah, that wasn't a lot of thought put into the Lulu comments, so we'll just wait and see. But uh, mate, it's a great story. Thanks very much for for coming on and sharing it. And Josh, thanks for, uh, thanks for your time as well and, and good luck with Cinch Capital. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, guys. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.